The Informed Fitness Podcast with Adam Zickerman and co-host Mike Rogers is a presentation of Informed Fitness Studios, a small family of personal training facilities specializing in safe, efficient, high-intensity strength training. On our bi-monthly podcast, Adam and Mike discuss the latest findings in the areas of exercise, nutrition, and recovery with leading experts and scientists. We aim to debunk the popular misconceptions and the urban myths that are so prevalent in the fields of health and fitness, and to replace those sacred cows with scientific-based, up-to-the-minute information on a variety of subjects. We'll cover exercise protocols and techniques, nutrition, sleep, recovery, the role of genetics in the response to exercise, and much more. On this episode, exercise for health and strength versus exercise for sports and fitness. We welcome back Dr. James Fisher, researcher and senior lecturer in sports conditioning and fitness at Southampton Solent University in the United Kingdom. Well, fundamentally, a movement is either the same or it's different. There's no big gray area here, so you don't take skiing movements and then say, well, we'll replicate it on, on whatever else we've got. What you do is you say, if you want to be better at skiing, go skiing. Or if you want to be better at surfing, go surfing. If you want to be stronger, then we'll make you stronger. But at the end of the day, if you want to be the best skier you can be, you should be as strong and as healthy as you can be, and you should practice skiing as much as you can. All right, well, back. By popular request, we have Dr. James Fisher with us again. And to refresh your memory, Dr. Fisher is a researcher and senior lecturer in sports conditioning and fitness at Southampton Solent University in the United Kingdom. He also has his PhD from Nottingham Trent University. James, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back, Adam. Thank you for having me. We've had some great feedback on that last episode we did uh, when we compared uh, compound movements to simple movements. And today I want to talk to you about something a little differently. Uh, and that is uh, what you have found out about the difference between exercising for health and strength versus exercise for sports performance. And is there a difference in how you train for health and strength versus training if you were to become or want to become or are a, an athlete, uh, whether you're, I guess, a weekend warrior or beyond that? Yeah, absolutely. And this is a really interesting topic. And I think that, um, you know, this is a, a very, very deep topic. So uh, we'll see how far down the rabbit hole we can go with this. Well, first and foremost, I think resistance training plays a, plays a key role for uh, health. And I think health is key for sports performance. So I think that's worth, worth saying first and foremost. No athlete is going to perform optimally if they're unwell or if they're injured. Uh, and if a resistance training or, or, or properly performed strength training can improve health, then it can certainly uh, help stabilize performance, if not enhance performance. And I think then the next thing is that we, we've got to look at performance as being on a spectrum. So we talk about athletic performance and sports performance, but actually performance for some people is walking up and down a flight of stairs or, um, you know, being able to hold their balance uh, if they slip on ice or things like that. So performance is still a, 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 a measure or a marker and exists on this, uh, this spectrum, uh, in my opinion. 
I think that, you know, we know the benefits or we should know the benefits of health, uh, of resistance training. Um, I have published it in multiple papers. There are, it's just a ton of research to support it, uh, you know, with regards to kind of body composition, reduction in risk of diabetes, types of cancer, so on and so forth. The key difference there is that when we're training for sports performance or for a specific exercise, there is a huge skill component along the way as well. Uh, so it's not, it's not to suggest that resistance training won't enhance performance, but if you take a basketball player, um, well, if, if I took 20 basketball players and 10 of them, I put on the basketball court and had them play basketball for 10 weeks and the other 10, I had come in the gym and lift weights for 10 weeks. Well, at the end of 10 weeks, I'd bet my money on the team that play basketball that every day of the week because they are more skilled in uh, or they're more practiced in the skills that they need. But if you wanted to say who are the healthiest, well, then I think you you know you're looking at a big difference. I think that's a bit of a different marker, and and um, the group that have been practicing resistance training are probably less prone to injury, which might be a key factor, and their overall health might well be better than, than the group playing basketball. Now, I've always said this. When, when, when I have athletes coming into workout and they tell me, well, I want to, I'm a tennis player or I'm a weekend warrior. I play soccer on the weekends or I guess over there we'd call that football. But they say to me, well, are we going to be doing specific exercises for my particular sport? And I've always generally said, not really. We're going to do the compound movements. We're going to mix in maybe some simple movements. Uh, but basically, we're going to just do a full body safe workout because what you said earlier struck a chord, which was healthier, right? So like, you know, if you're an athlete, you, you want your exercise program to preserve your joints, uh, not destroy your recovery and not diminish your recovery ability too much because you're practicing all the time. You want your workout just to be very specific and to strengthening muscles, nothing necessarily specific to a particular sport. Yeah, I know I agree with that completely. And I, and I think that there are two approaches to this. So the first is that I think that's incredibly honest of you. If, an, if a client said to you, I'm a tennis player, is my workout going to be specific to tennis? I would say, yeah, absolutely. We're going to train the muscles of the hips. We're going to train the muscles of the lower body, the quadriceps, the hamstrings, and the gastrocnemius and soleus. We're going to, in doing so, we're going to make sure the ankle and the knees are stable and strong. And we're going to give you great flexibility through the hips and the trunk. Um, and all of those things are going to be really important important for you as a tennis player i don't think you need to say yeah we're going to stand you on a ba well if you're a tennis player great we have to stand you on a balance board and have you doing backwards lunges with a trx and a, a medicine ball and and in fact the body of research from a from a motor schema perspective um, which is this which is really the skill element of uh, movement the body of research says that people in, in strength and conditioning or in strength training shouldn't try to mimic the movements that are being performed uh, by the athlete in the sport they play. The tennis racket is a certain weight. They move in a certain way to hit a certain shot. And unless you're a tennis coach coaching those movements, you should leave that to the tennis coach or to the tennis player. What you should be doing is making sure the athlete is physically prepared. That might be cardiovascular conditioning. That might be muscular strength. It might be power. It might be flexibility and range of motion. Uh, it might be joint stability, things like that, which are all things that are covered with, with a sensible resistance training program. Right. So, okay, Mike, you want to say something? 
But uh, so what I've, what I've been learning a lot uh, over many, many years, but especially over the last few years is uh, is trying to figure out uh, addressing the same questions when clients come in about, you know, golf and tennis are the ones uh, we hear the most and on skiing. Also, that's another story. But the uh, but they want to recreate some of these movements. And what I what and uh, what I'm learning is that when you have learned this properly do a golf swing like the, the proper way in an efficient way that is. Uh, powerful and consistent. And if it's done, you know, coached properly, which we're not qualified to teach people to do, that is what you want to aspire for is actually, I think, getting the most output by, by doing the littlest movement in a way, you know, or this or the less uh, as little work as possible in order to get the most um, output of whatever you're trying to do, like power or whatever. Efficiency. It's all about, honestly, everything is about efficiency. And Adam and I were even talking about that this morning. So yeah. Well, to me, it's efficiency and recovery. I think if if, if you're truly working with an athlete who's who's uh, playing golf three or four times a week, or or something more demanding, possibly like tennis three or four times a week. I mean, now I'm saying to myself, wow, this person is, is spending an hour in the heat on a tennis court three times a week. When are they recovering from all this? Which is an important part of becoming a a good athlete going forward and progressing as a good athlete. So here we are. Now we're training them to death in the gym two, two, three times a week. And, and I'm just saying to myself that that's, that's just asking for trouble and injury because the recovery is just not there. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that this is where the abbreviated minimal dose approach to resistance training is uh, just so suitable for athletes. I mean, I, you know, we, we, we often pitch it towards the layperson or pitch it towards a student who doesn't have time um, or a busy executive. But actually this is perhaps even more important for athletes who are already incurring a huge amount of exercise and a huge dose of exercise and really need to add uh, add sufficient stimulus to make sure the muscles are strong and the joints are stable and so forth but actually don't need any more than that and don't want any more than that and their bodies can't handle any more than that uh, a prime example if i may is uh I, in, in a different lifetime i was a basketball player um how tall are you and I, i'm i'm 511 <laughs> <laughs> so so, but I but I grew when I was about fourteen. You look taller in these yeah. pictures from, from, that the, I see from the chest up. You look very tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a low camera angle. So, but but I had a growth spurt when I was very young. So I, I when I was about fourteen, I was about five eleven, and I was convinced I was going to make you know six eight, and I was going to go into the NBA and everything else. And then when I was sixteen or seventeen, everybody else is five eleven, five ten, five eleven as well, uh, or taller. And I realized that this is you know never going to happen. But the point, the point that I was going to get to was all we did in basketball was jump. You do basketball training, you jump. You do tip drills, you do layup drills, you do whatever drills it might be, but you jump, you jump, you jump. And somebody said, well, you know, and then you go in the gym and what does your coach have you do? Your strength and conditioning coach, what does he have you do? Plyometrics. You do more jumping. So I'm 40 years old now and, and both my knees are, are in a heck of a state because really I've spent about 20 years bouncing up and down uh, on hard surfaces. And actually the way I would approach strength and conditioning with a basketball player and the way I do approach strength and conditioning with a basketball player is I stop jumping because they already do enough jumping and they do it in the right way. They jump for a ball, they jump to block a shot, they jump to take a shot. Whereas if somebody has it doing it in a gym, they're jumping with maybe a weight on their back or they're jumping off something or jumping onto something, which are things that they are never going to do in a basketball game. So they're practicing a skill that they're never going to use that has a higher risk of injury. And they're really adding to the degree of muscle damage they're doing joint to their joints. 
yeah, to the joints that they're already potentially overusing by the high volume of training and matches and so on and so forth. So sports is absolutely about efficiency. The golf swing should be perfectly efficient, you know, no wasted energy. You know, I see, I speak to marathon runners and, and cyclists um, who dabble in triathlon and they say they need to get their swim training back up. These guys are incredibly fit, but when they get in a pool, their stamina is terrible because swimming is about efficiency. Yeah, I, I, I remember when I did my first triathlon, because I swam in college, I thought I didn't have to train for the uh, the swimming part, and I almost drowned because <laughs> <laughs> I, I just thought I'd be able to carry through with my, you know, but I hadn't trained for, for years, you know, after college. I, I don't think it stops at swimming. I think it's with everything. And, and like you're looking at you know, the Super Bowls, and Tom Brady's over 40, and he's not just hanging on. He's destroying uh, in the NFL right now. He's the best and still the best, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm not a fan, but yep. I'm just going to acknowledge that he's the best. <laughs> but uh, um, but the thing is, what I am a fan of is, uh, and I've been reading some other materials and about a lot of uh, athletes, especially the ones that are lasting late 30s, going into their 40s. They're 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 training less. They're doing considerably less to keep up with and even surpass the ones who are younger and faster. You Which know? Is, yeah, that's interesting because I was going to ask you, James, if you know. Uh, about what's going on there in the uh, professional world of sports, are they catching on to this idea that that efficiency and, and joint protection and recovery is really more important than just trying to mimic movements in the gym? Are they catching on to that yet? Um, I think that the the very elite athletes who pay for their own coaches, who don't necessarily train and work with a team or uh, with a team trainer, are catching on to this, and they know their bodies well enough, and they know that it's about doing the right things, not more things. Um, so, for example, there have been a few Premier uh, Premier League footballers, Premier League soccer players, who uh, who have been able to do that and have, have played into their forties. The name Ryan Giggs is somebody that springs to mind, and of course in the in the, in the NBA, Kobe Bryant was a guy who worked with his own trainer. In fact, I believe he worked with Tim Grover, who was jo- Michael Jordan's uh, trainer. And of course, Michael Jordan himself did the same. And they're aware that there are components of training that they need to do, but they're also aware that their body can't stand up to the same intensity at the same volume, that they need to reduce the volume and they need to manage their training a lot better. So, But as, as a general rule, the answer to that question is no. Most tra- most athletes are not aware of that um, and they are you know, following probably, in my opinion, uh, very high, you know, too high a volume of exercise. Forgetting about the professional athlete, more relevant, to, especially for our listeners, is the weekend warrior. And our clients, I walk in and say, you know, I want to be a better golfer and, and I like to do this. I mean, they, they don't have aspirations of, of becoming a professional, but they want to be, you know, they want to do their sports for as long as they can and, they and, and, they, and they have fun. So, you know, I keep hearing stuff about CrossFit, you know, is that something I should be doing to become a better athlete or, or the boot camps or these functional training programs? And, you know, I always sound like a stick in the mud when I say you don't need to do that. And I, I you know, I, I they, they sometimes I think they look at me like I'm old fashioned, like I'm not progressive or I'm not, you know, open minded to these <laughs> these ideas. You know, I, I spoke to a guy, a trainer at University of Cincinnati, Mike Rayfeld, and he uh, he says that kind of every year his head like football coach comes in the room and says, what are you going to add to the program this year? Uh, and he looks at him and then he goes away and then he comes back and says, yeah, now we're going to do medicine ball rotations or we're going to do power bag slams or something like this. I said to Mike, do you buy into this? He said, no, it's window dressing. 
it's just window dressing. It's because the coach wants to look in the room, see that we're doing something new, something different, and see that we've progressed. But actually, we still get everything that we need from the original program that we've been doing for the last 10, 15 years. And, and, and this is exactly it. You know, the exercise industry follows fads and fashions. If you'd followed them all, then you'd have done what? Bought every piece of electrical equipment that you could from a treadmill to a Versa climber and so forth. Then you'd have sold it all and started doing Olympic lifting. Then you'd have sold it all and taken up yoga. Then you've ditched yoga and have opened a Zumba studio. And then you'd have gone back to Olympic lifting and then gone back to yoga. Um, you know, the, the industry is a commercial uh, marketing machine. But that doesn't mean it's productive. It doesn't mean that, ha- that, that half of what's being done is productive. You mentioned CrossFit, and just to get that out of the way, first and foremost, CrossFit itself is a sport. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have an agenda with CrossFit. A lot of people think that I do. And I don't have an agenda with CrossFit because I perceive it to be a sport. It's competitive. It's got a competitive element, which means it's got a high risk of injury. And it's got a skill element to it in itself, um, albeit probably quite a low skill element because there's not much emphasis on technique in CrossFit. But, you know, it's a sport. That's it. So if you want to do CrossFit, then do it. But it's the same as going and playing, you know, five-a-side soccer of an evening or going and playing table tennis. It's a sport. It's competitive. That's it. At least with those sports, you can keep score. You can't keep score with CrossFit. Well, they, they have that ESPN <laughs> games where they are racing to yeah, do well, the game, the games, yeah. <laughs> as many chin-ups with the other kids. Yeah. And, and let's be fair, that you know, they're tremendous athletes, mm-hmm. but they are only any good at doing that particular event or that particular sport. You know, in the CrossFit Games in the UK here, they put in um, cyclocross one year. Uh, So they had like a 20-mile cyclocross route to do, which meant that unless you were a cyclist, you were absolutely screwed. Mm -hmm. So I think two of the girls were cyclists, and they just, you know, took the competition apart because they weren't great at doing kipping pull-ups or anything else, but they were cyclists. So they beat the other girls by, you know, by hours on the the cycling element. So, you know, again, it's really skill-specific. Now, as far as functional movements, well, again – Balance is a specific skill. So the balance in your body when you take a golf swing is specific to your body when you take a golf swing. It's not replicated by standing on a Swiss ball, by standing on a BOSU, by standing on any kind of wobble board or balance platform. Is there any benefit to doing push-ups on a wobble board? You know, like take a BOSU ball, you turn it upside down. Is there any benefit to doing push-ups on that thing? So if I uh, if I spoke to a physiotherapist, they would probably say that if you were rehabilitating a rotator cuff at the later stages, then adding a degree of instability might might be beneficial. Um, and, and I wouldn't challenge a, a physical therapist because that's not my remit. I can see why they would say that because the shoulder uh, needs to cope with unstable movements at times. But, uh, you know, I think that you're dealing again with the final end of, of that kind of spectrum. Can you just strengthen the rotator cuff muscles? Can you strengthen the muscles of the shoulder? And that will do like 98% of the job. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we look at sports performance, it's about skill. It's about proprioception. Proprioception is the awareness of our body in space. Well, it's contextual. So it's the awareness of our body in space when we're performing a sport. 
if you change somebody's basketball shoes, things feel different. They take a bit of time to adapt. If you change somebody's tennis racket, it might be a different weight or a different size or a different grip size. It takes time to adapt. And that's the adaptation of that skill. So we don't do that. An interesting analogy in all of this is um, you've seen the uh, the matadors and the bulls over in Spain, the bullfighting. Mm-hmm. So um, so the, the matador waves out the, the cape or whatever it might be, and the bull runs at him, and uh, the bull misses by like an inch or a couple of inches, right? And it happens every time, and the crowd cheer and everything like that. The night before the bull goes into the arena, they shave an inch or an inch and a half off the bull's horns before they go in. So the bull thinks that the danger end of the horn is here, but actually it's moved about two inches. Hmm. And lo, they missed the matador by like an inch and a half. Well, I didn't even know that. Yeah. I, mean, I, knew, I knew they stabbed the damn thing to practically <laughs> death before they come down. <laughs> well, they do that as well, yeah. So um, so they, you're changing the specificity. You know, imagine if you were about to go and play golf and I took an inch out of your, out of your, um, your golf club. Yep. That makes total sense. It changes everything, right? No, but even like uh, like on a basic uh, strength level versus you know skill level, there are. It's amazing how in golf, and I think we mentioned this in our previous pre- podcast as well, is you could see there are 14, 15 year old girls and boys who can hit the ball three hundred plus yards because they have the skill in actually in how to position their hips and swing the club very efficiently, and cle- they know how to create club head speed uh, versus you know, Dwayne, the rock Johnson, who I don't know if he can play golf or not, but uh, I, I mean, let's just say he can't, we know he's got a lot more muscle than like a 15 year old girl. Uh, she might be able to hit it almost, you know, maybe like a hundred yards further because she has the technique in order to do so. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. I was going to say the only, the, 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 the emphasis here for me is, is the benefits of strength training for these people. And one of the key things, you know, Mike, you said you were a cyclist and, and, uh, and, and I'm a cyclist. Uh, I, I'm, you know, more and more competitive cyclist to try and keep up with my wife. But one of the key things that always stands out to me is the, the prevalence of injuries in cycling. Now, I know that there's an emphasis on keeping the weight down. I know there's an emphasis on, on, on that has a, um, an impact on nutritional habits and so on and so forth and i don't think for a second that all of those things are necessarily healthy but i know that for most cyclists when they fall off a bike they break a bone and i would bet if you took the bone mineral density of a cyclist they're probably similar to about an 80 or a 90 year old woman because they don't do strength training and they certainly don't do any strength training in the upper body so what do they do they fall off they hit their shoulder they brace themselves with their hand and they break their collarbone so, you know, resistance training once a week, once a fortnight, you know, uh, a couple times a week, whatever it might be, uh, with a, a reasonably high load, but a minimal dose would, in my opinion, do a lot for a cyclist to improve their resilience and their ability to disperse energy and, and prevent broken bones and so forth. So, and I think that that, I think that there's probably analogies across other sports. They're not as obvious to me because like I said, I'm a cyclist. So. Well, I just think skiing that, especially too, there's tons yeah. of falls in that, you know, you know, skiing anecdotally, I can tell you, uh, I can give you an anecdote re- regarding skiing. I mean, like we hear this all the time. Skiing, uh, is, is a seasonal sport for most parts of the world, particularly in New York. And, uh, you know, we have clients working out with us all summer and, and fall, and then they finally hit the slopes. If they go to high altitude for the after working out with us uh, for the first time for a year, and then they go skiing for the first time after these kind of workouts, which are brief, intense workouts, they always, so many times they report this as, hey, I expect it to be done by like 
11 in the afternoon, one, one, 11 in the morning or one in the afternoon tops. But I was, I was, I was good until 3 PM. I've never felt that before. I really felt I had my strength again, you know, they weren't mimicking skiing movements or we weren't doing, we weren't trying to, you know, work the quads any differently. Uh, we did leg press and whatever exercises to work the legs and hips. And, uh, they were just strong and, you know, and they picked up where they left off the year before. So being that there was no specificity training, you know, I, I, it, I mean, I'm doing this 20 years and, and I still haven't really been able to see a, a purpose for specificity training, trying to, you know, do mimic mimicking movements in the gym uh, to improve <laughs> sports performance. I mean, I mean, in summary, the the motor schema. You know, we started out talking about the motor schema research, and if you go back through it, it's interesting because all of this falls under psychology, and the reason it does is because it's uh, because it's neural, so it's uh, it's really neurophysiology. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 fundamentally, a movement is either the same or it's different. There's no there's no big gray area here, so you don't right. take somebody's skiing movements and then say, well, we'll replicate it on on whatever else we've got. What you do is you say, if you want to be better at skiing, go skiing, or if you want to be better at surfing, go surfing. If you want to be stronger, then we'll make you stronger. But at the end of the day, if you want to be the best skier you can be, you should be as strong and as healthy as you can be, and you should practice skiing as much as you can. You shouldn't go in the gym and try to uh, find a middle ground and say, well, I'm going to bring my strength training this way and bring my skiing this way until I can just do this exercise on a, on a BOSU, uh, you should ski and you should do strength training. It's, it's pretty simple. In conclusion, very good. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think we'll leave it on that good. note. I mean, that, that pretty much is, uh, says it all. Brilliant. Thanks very much for your time, gents. Thanks, James. Dr. Fisher, once again, thank you again. Thank you. This has been the Inform Fitness Podcast with Adam Zickerman. For over 20 years, Inform Fitness has been providing clients of all ages with customized personal training designed to build strength fast. Visit informfitness.com for testimonials, blogs, and videos on the three pillars, exercise, nutrition, and recovery.